0: The number one thing you should think about is whether or not this particular industry has just come off of a bust. The deeper the bust, the better it is for you. The more chances you're giving yourself that this can go in your favor.
1: Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure to book your spot on the show by visiting myfuturebusiness.com. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky. I tell you what, do I have somebody very special lined up for you? It's Leo Gans. Now, Leo has been on the show with me in the past, and we've welcomed him back because he has got such a wealth of knowledge. We're going to be touching on uh, stock markets, real estate, investments, blockchain you name it. We're going to be talking about it today. So, with all that being said, Leo, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Now, you and I were just speaking briefly about, uh, you know, the pandemic, and I'd love to explore uh, some of the, I guess, the uh, the questions around this, because I know that uh, you are deep involved with all of these things. And I wonder uh, if, we can <laughs> st- if we can start off before uh, we do that is by asking you where you're located.
0: I'm in Tel Aviv, and... Um... Uh, Right now, as we're recording this, it's the first day of February 2021, um, 11.30 a.m. here in Tel Aviv, and 3 p.m. I have uh, my first shot, actually, my first dose of the Fiverr vaccine.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, we're we're pretty uh, advanced uh, in terms of uh, vaccinations. I think uh, there's about 9 million people in in, uh, Israel put together. I think 2.5 to 3 million people have already been vaccinated uh, mostly with the, with the uh, Pfizer, Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna one is coming um, now. Now, just to, I know it's a very controversial subject with the vaccines. So just to, to say, I, I've interviewed um, on my show, um, uh, Del Victory, who's a big anti-vaxxer, um, who got demonetized and banned from YouTube, et cetera, And actually Robert uh, Kennedy Jr., who is uh, not only a big anti-vaxxer? He's, he's a lawyer who sued a lot of the. He's obviously uh, uncle with uh, the the late JFK, but he he's the son of Robert Kennedy. Yep, yep. Um, he he. Um, they made a big Hollywood movie out of him because he um, not a, not a, under his name, but under a pseudonym. But he he went after like big pharma and um, and he got a big foundation um with regards to people that think that their children has have um, either uh, uh, dyslexia or something else due to uh, vaccines etc he's just warning about uh, vaccines and when Trump uh, got elected in uh, 2017 uh, he wanted uh, uh, Robert Kennedy jr. to be the chair of, of like a, a committee that uh, uh, investigates um, you know yep, yep. Vaccinations and, and mercury and all that kind of stuff and actually he says that bill gates came into that uh, meeting later like after kennedy uh, left the building gates came in and, and told trump not to go down that rabbit hole whatever that means
1: yes no but,
0: um you know pros and cons and everything and, and uh, the way that it's structured here with uh most of my building and most of my uh, where my daughter goes to kindergarten and just everything that's going on um it's, it's, it's a question of, okay, there's risks, there's rewards with yeah. the vaccine. Um, what do you do? Um, and I think for me, it, it came down to, um, I just want to get on uh, with my life. So, um, having that vaccine is, is, uh, uh I would say at this point, it's, it's kind of worth the, uh, whatever the risks it may be worth it we'll see maybe it's a huge mistake but it's it, it may be worth it um just to you know to get on with uh with life well look
1: leo um you know no matter what you do look after yourself i think that's probably the number one message that i'm taking from what you're sharing with us and thank you for sharing that little bit of insight now um this this show is predominantly going to be focusing on uh the pandemic in terms of not the political f- sphere but more so um, how the pandemic is affecting um, the things that you're directly involved with professionally, Leo, such as the okay. stock market, real estate, and all that sort of thing. Um, now, with COVID nineteen, and you know, with borders closing, um, left, right, and centre, and every uh, in, in every country, you're seeing it. No international flights in or out. Does this no. does this change the way that we deal with other deal with each other um, from country to country? Does this end globalisation?
0: It's a it's a very good question actually um, because it it certainly has ramifications on uh, globalization. Um, I I wrote about I I called it peak globalization and I wrote about it about a year and a half to two years ago um, because when I saw uh, Trump's policies and just in general the rise of China versus the United States, it looked to us uh, even two years ago that uh, globalization is peaking. We, we looked at other indicators of globalization and it just looked to us as if the world is, is kind of nationalizing. Obviously you see a wall with Mexico, that's a clear sign of, uh, of you know, going back um, with, with robotics, with 3D printing, with AI, um, with everything that technology is bringing into manufacturing, the advantages of uh, labor cost arbitrages between the Far East or South America, um, you know, uh, uh, Cambodia, the, the 50 countries that are actually producing for cheaper than China, mm-hmm. that's what of the world's countries that have cheaper than China manufacturing. Um, even with all of that, it became um, uh, politically... Uh, incentivized to look at better ways of manufacturing uh, for example in the United States they cannot rely and the pandemic proved this on having their medicine pr- uh, produced in China that's that's a big problem for them 80% of global uh, air conditioners made in China 64% of shoes made. In China. it's just a problem um, because you're relying too much on this global supply chain. It's very delicate and it's very efficient because you're leveraging the entire planet, right? Um, so on one hand, amazing. On the other hand, very delicate. And so what's happening in the United States and w- what's going to happen in the next 20, 30 years is you're going to see, for example, New York City, it's going to be a hub. People are going to work there mostly with their brains, less with their hands, outside yep. of the city, an hour, an hour and a half outside in the suburbs, they are going to be big manufacturing facilities where they will be able to manufacture anything the city needs locally, in-house. So in America, you're going to see big manufacturing coming back, and you're going to see that in many countries. Countries are going to rely on their own technologies for for this, um, and, and that's one thing what we see changing big time. Um, obviously, the big paying jobs are going to be, Engineering these, you, you know, not uh, uh, overseeing a a floor. And that's going to be yeah. it's, it's a good. Job. But most of the jobs are not going to be on the floor. That's going to be uh, very much uh, uh, automated. It's like
1: but, a, it's like the second coming of the industrial revolution, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah, it is. It is the second. But and this and this is a problem for governments because you're you're balancing the the workforce or the workforce that's not suited to do jobs that that uh, are uh, about creating uh, software and hardware etc you, you you literally need less and less people to create more and more productivity and so you have a lot of people left behind in this type of economy um, and, and therefore they're trying to balance this out with more social programs um, it's exacerbating the wealth gap, the income gap, uh, there's finger pointing, et cetera. And there's not only finger pointing within the country, there's finger pointing between countries. So uh, a pandemic, uh, a global pandemic, ex- especially so well televised and, and you know, communicated, yep. it brought opportunity for all these nations, all of the big nations to say, hey, guys, G20 meeting immediately in Brussels. Let's talk about how we solve the pandemic together. Who gets the vax? Where we, None of that happened. Mm. Every country pulled back, looked to uh, to do whatever is good for them, closed borders. It, it was all about limiting and going back to nationalism. And so that's another indicator that peak globalism has definitely um, arrived. In other words, when I say global, I don't mean that uh, uh, the poorer countries, the third world countries, will not get richer. I just mean that they will not get richer by us corporations entering uh you know fishing village turning them into the next beijing that's what i mean by that that it will be done differently uh the world as a whole is getting richer getting better the pie but then our real problem as a society is how do we um divide an ever-growing pie with fewer and fewer winners uh so to speak and that that's sort of um the big, big, big topic that uh, both society, governments, but I also think corporations in the free market have to think about because it's it's definitely not a problem that you can look and say, oh, Amazon, solve this problem for us. It's not a, a problem that one particular company can solve, um, but it, it does affect everyone. If, if there is a problem where riots are, you know, happening where there's discontent, where where people are just not happy. Uh, that's unproductive for society. And if CEOs and and, and boards of directors and companies don't um, start handling this, it will go down to uh, governments handling this, and that might be less effective. So there's a, a big drama's going on everywhere, it's, yeah. it's just.
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's happening uh, all over the place i wonder um what's i guess your personal sentiment to the future is it a positive outlook do you see opportunities in hidden away in all of this uh, maybe hiding in plain sight what's the good to all of this do you see any um
0: i think opportunities are are always in plain sight uh hidden in plain sight yeah um look as an investor what i gave you is more of a macro you know outlook. And um, the macro outlook is not so much something that an investor uh, in the stock market or in real estate or or whatever else can can, uh, make decisions from. The macro is more of what you would do uh, in your own free time. In other words, you see a wealth gap and you're a beneficiary of the system, for example, you've made millions of dollars. Why don't you, you know, go to, to back to your community and help it. That's something else, right? You're, you're seeing yep. the wealth, gap, you're seeing the income gap, you're seeing people that it's it's more of a philanthropic feeling or because I'm not going to hire to my business somebody that's unemployed just so I can uh, hire him. It's not the way to run a great business. I would rather run a great business and with uh, a percentage of, of the business profits that are distributed, that I go back to my community and say, okay, how can I help this community? Not by uh, hiring people uh, just for the kicks of it, mm. because that's the way to go, but how to help, how to really help. What, what do these people need and what can I do? So I think the macro is more for people to, to go back and say, man, um, if, if these people can, uh, can learn a new skill, then that would really be beneficial. Can I buy a hundred Napoleon Hill books and give it out to these people and 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 create a book club? Uh, because those people can't afford the the book, for example, or won't um or won't sit down and read it. Uh, it you know, there's a bunch of things that you can do philanthropically, or just in terms of uh, uh, volunteer work, in terms of business, or in terms of uh, an investor. There are big opportunities um, with every major. Sh- change, right? And this, what happened in 2020 is a huge change. So um, in in terms of where, what I'm looking at and, 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 and whatnot, one real estate in the United States, a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. I think real estate in the United States is now more compelling than in the past 70 years. Let me just uh, give my bullish thesis and then (laughs) you can do your own due diligence. The inventory for housing in the United States is, is uh, the tightest it's ever been. If, uh, if uh, construction stops for three months, there will be no new housing in America. That has never happened. Usually, it's, you have a 12-month um, oversupply. So in other words, if, if uh, constructors, all construction stops, there's 12 months' worth of inventory to go and, and, and uh, sell there's three months now. Remember that. That's really important because yeah. what people are saying is, man, for 12 years, real estate prices have gone up since 2008. That's true. But take into effect that you're taking an arbitrary point, 2008, and saying from there. But uh, we've we've never had a 50% decline in prices in the United States to go into 2008. So that was a really in one-of-a-kind event uh, for prices to go down that substantially. Uh, was preceded by uh, a rallying prices, but anyways, supply and demand, the basics of of any uh, any market. There's a lot of demand, very little supply, so that's one thing. Second thing, um, a lot of states have migration right now. There's states with better taxes uh, or no state tax, uh, better weathers, better um, job creation uh, um, uh, prospects. Pro- prospects. Yes, so um, that's going on. And then the mother load is basically the fact that Gen Z, which are Generation Z, right, mid-90s to mid-2000s, and millennials, mid-80s to mid-90s, they're entering these peak earning years. They're inheriting great jobs from uh, Gen Y and from boomers that are retiring, and they're climbing up the corporate ladder. They're all entering their 30s many, many of them not married and still living either rents or in a unit at the back of their parents' house. And so you have this entire generation, think between 80 and 100 million people, that's a third of the country, that have not tied the notch, right? They're not, they're not going, <laughs> and have not, um, and have not formed a house. They've not bought their first home. They've not originated a mortgage. They've not done any of that. Most of them have great credits. They were not burned out in 2008 um, in terms of their credit, and they've been building it. Most of them have savings. Uh, Most of the people that will buy their first homes have some savings, whether it be from the last eight months of of, uh, bull market in in the market that they can realize the gains and and put a down payment towards, or just in general. Um, And a lot more of them have college degrees, which banks look at when they – um when they process your application very bullish on real estate in the united states what kind of real estate then you have single family homes because people are afraid of the big cities pandemic etc they're moving outside to uh single family homes uh so that's one thing that's really mm-hmm. really interesting secondly is multifamily complexes huge four five six hundred dollars um, that you don't buy on your own you go into a, either a private REIT um, so if you're an accredited investor, that will be easier. But even if you're not, there are ways to do it. Uh, even if you're Australian, you can um, um, look at certain opportunities within the United States through very, very hands-off websites where you can buy, uh, you know, even like 5K or 10K or 20K into uh, a big project, a crowd-funded project. Yep. Um, and there are many companies that do that. And, and we, if you go to... To wealthresearch.com to our newsletter, um, you will and, and you know and subscribe to the free newsletter. You will see that we talk about these um, all the time, and even I talk about what I'm doing with my own with my own funds. So real estate, love it. Real estate is a great catalyst for what's going on in the real economy because um, if real estate prices go up, uh, not only do people have lines of credit, but in order to pay off mortgages. Um, They have to have stable jobs and good jobs. So uh, uh, a healthy real estate market is a precursor for a good jobs market. So that's the second thing, that wherever you see great uh, real estate markets, those are also great job markets, and those also are part of the new um, U.S. economy. Where do I think the U.S. economy is going? I think for for one thing, you need to look at, as an investor – you need to look at specific companies. The S&P 500 index and the Nasdaq 100 and the Dow Jones—they're priced um, very expensively. So it's true that over the long term, if you—you know—if if you could do to just purchase more and more of the S&P 500 and the Dow and the Nasdaq in 20, 30 years, you'll have compounded uh, at, at either six, seven, eight, nine percent a year. That it's true. Yeah, but for the average person who's willing to devote a few hours uh, to researching specific companies, or what I do, researching specific people and looking at ways to to uh, get access to their data, either invest in their fund or just be part of their network. Um, so, in other words, hunting for an expert instead of hunting for companies. Uh, yep. Hunting for an expert is much better because he does the the um, most of the work and you you just hunt one time for the expert instead of hunting every day for new uh, opportunities so I think that's that offers much more leverage and looking at specific companies I think specific companies which carry obviously uh, more risk um, that's where you can make 20 25 30 percent a year if you're a small-time investor because you're not under these, these regulatory umbrellas that fund managers have. For, I'll give you an example. Fund managers, if, if one of their stocks in their portfolio goes up by hundred percent and now weighs more than 10% of their portfolio, they have, they have to sell it. They have to sell a portion of it, even though it's a phenomenal company, just because it's too overweight. Uh, they, the fund's board will tell them, hey, there's, this is too much exposure for one stock. They, they have all the yep. non-related um, requirements that have nothing to do with the fundamentals. You as an investor don't have that. You can put 90% in, in, in a high-convection idea. I'm not saying that you should do that, but um, it, it's it's something you have an opportunity now as an investor because of the access to information that's out there. You have a, you have a real big shot of outperforming Wall Street, and we're seeing uh, in the past nine months that the average investor, when I say average, I just mean a non-professional and, and whatnot, and I'm a non-professional. I know you uh, – said like a few minutes ago that I'm a professional, I'm a non-professional, I'm an individual investor. Um, yep. They have a real big opportunity. So I, I love the opportunity right now. In terms of listeners, they're saying, hey, you know what? L- look, the, the markets are out of control. They're expensive. The P ratios are uh, the highest. It's true. The thing is, um, P ratios are not how you measure um, broad indices anymore. You cannot look at P-Ratios the way you looked at it 20 or 30 years ago, they are expensive. But the S&P 500 today and the NASDAQ 100 today, they're built of companies that their policy is not take the profits and distribute them as dividends. It's to take the profits and plow it into the company in order to build its market share, build its market share, build its market share, and then either uh, move in 20 years, 30 years down the road, to that dividend model or get uh, sold out to a bigger company for uh, who wants them as part of their bigger strategy. E ratios are not the way you look at companies uh, uh, today that much, the better way to look at companies is more of their uh, overall growth prospects. So um, I-, I would say free cash flow is not the only way to do it. Um, yeah. These days, so don't look at it and say, Oh my god, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for a 30 or 40 percent correction in the markets before I ever get in. That may never, never come, uh, or not never, but that may that may not come. You'd be,
1: yeah, be away seven you'll, years, you'd be waiting yeah. a long time, wouldn't you? We,
0: we just had one, Rick. We just had one last year. We just had a 35 percent correction, uh, bear market in March of 2020, like literally not even a year ago. It, it's, it, it's not um it's not the strategy, even if and and, and a lot of people have this uh, mindset of um all either all in or all cash it's just why you
1: find, yeah it's not the way it's done anymore is it i yeah. I wonder leo um you are such a wealth of knowledge what I will say to everybody who's on the call with this tonight um It should be obvious to you that Leo is a wealth of knowledge, um, regardless of his uh, professional status or not. This (laughs) is why I want you to make sure that you reach out to his website and you get a hold of this newsletter like I have, because there is just an abundance of information now that aside, Leo, I'd love to um, talk about Every four years, the, uh, the, you know, I guess the transition of power in the States, rightly or wrongly, seems to have an effect on people's psyche. Um, what do you see uh, happening? What have you seen in the last few um, weeks considering what's just occurred?
0: That's another great question, actually. Um, uh, the, it's, unna- it's not natural for any organization to simply pick, a four-year period and just choose to elect a new leader which comes with a new policy and no organization who wants to be healthy would do that but because of the democratic principle of limiting power um, most modern countries do that. They just every four years say, okay, election, let's find a new guy. Let's do it. Now the good guy, the the, uh the current guy could be perfect. Wouldn't matter. He can get he can get elected. But even then, after eight years, even if he's phenomenal, he's gonna be out. Um and that's and not only that, but even if he's a perfect uh leader when it comes to campaigning the other person will somehow smear him no matter you know in a a corporation um that would not happen if the current ceo is amazing uh, another ceo will another candidate will never come out and and and, uh and write them and he's good he's bad because he'll be what he's not bad he's good look at our results okay so countries have a very arbitrary way of electing a leader and the added problem to that is when a new leader comes in he has this thing where the first 100 days i have to like change the whole thing change
1: the world yep
0: (laughs) it's 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 so i I literally wrote about this like a week ago on our newsletter I, i wrote about you take the sweat the man hours the you know the amount of time that a trump administration for example put into their policies and now you undo that. No matter, leave alone if it's good or not. You yes, un- yes. You unpack that. It, they've put in billions, tens of billions in taxpayer money into doing this. Now you're going to take ten billions uh, to destruct that. So in four years, mm-hmm. you know, it's just uh, a, a very inefficient way of running an organization, especially the size of the United States. Um, I, it's, it's, you know, with, with about 16 million federal workers, it, you move 16 million people from, it's just insane. Um, And that's why why there's a deep state because, you know, the people that are in these machines for 30 years, they, they can't swing every four years. They have, they have their own little state of mind within the, uh, the bigger picture because they can't fluctuate every four years with, with the tides. They have to run an organization. They really run an organizations like agencies, etc. Um, and so that's why you see that, that those conflicts between elected leadership and the the people that are you know the the, the real uh, uh, puppet musters behind the scenes. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Now, so uh, the bottom line here is that there are opportunities that come with the change, right? So, for example, it's obvious today, you know, uh, when Biden got elected and even going up into it, uh, when the polls showed it and people began to think that the polls might be more accurate than 2016, then um, investors went into clean energy, whatever infrastructure, whatever they thought Biden's administration would do. Uh, So there are clear opportunities with policy changes, um, but there are also opportunities with, um, just companies that have a clear competitive moat uh, within their field. So, you know, I, I'm looking at companies that Biden's administration will favor. I'm also looking at companies that just, no matter what happens, these companies have something special and I just want to buy them for the, the right price. There are companies that I've, I've, I can wait like a year, a year and a half, two years, because they're a great company but not a great opportunity so um yeah okay
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of buy and hold opportunities this is great insight thanks leah for sharing <clears> now <throat> i want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit okay. about stocks um i want to talk about something that recently came to uh, everybody's attention um is uh, the GameStop and reddit use a situation where they were where they were um short squeezing the market
0: mm-hmm. did you
1: hear about this <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm alive. I have a pulse. <laughs> now, I was wondering what you can tell us about this because it was a, a quite unusual situation and wonder why it occurred and what is to stop this from occurring in the future. Power of numbers.
0: Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Okay. So, a, a number of things because it's a very complex subject with, with so many uh, angles both ethical, moral, practical, right? Uh, regulatory. Yeah. The one thing I, I would say off the bat is anyone that comes in defense of short sellers saying that short sellers ha- help to um, bring to light fraudulent companies is um, is making the wrong claim for short sellers. Uh, it, short sellers, it's not their job to unveil companies with fraudulent activity. No. Yeah. Leave that to the proper agencies. Uh, Melvin Capital or anyone that shorted GameStop did not short this company because they thought there were shenanigans going on uh, within this company. They thought their business model was obsolete and they betted that the risk of this company ever turning around compared to the reward of this company not being able to turn around is to their favor. That's the 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 only reason they would do that, as part of the short seller strategy. They sometimes take their their research, which is amazing, right? They have yep. a year, a year and a half, where they put 40, 50, 60, 100 people on the task. They literally go to the locations. They do all this research in order to compile that thesis because. A fund manager has to answer to a board. to His investors, he has to say, look, I'm taking a big risk with this, but it's going to be worth it for everyone. Look at all of this research. Um, so that's that's one thing. Whoever goes on NBC or CNN says the short sellers are an important part of the ecosystem because they unveil fraud. No, no, no. If they want to unveil fraud, just call the proper agency. You're trying to make money. You're not trying to unveil any fraud. You're, you're, it, 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 unveiling fraud is an indirect way for you to make money so and and by the way shorts they short legitimate companies they short commodities they short a lot has nothing to do with it and i saw i saw so many people defending uh the short sellers by saying that they're just an important part of the ecosystem because of their uh um because they're they expose things and it's just not true um it's I, not true yeah i don't know who they lobby for but now those people are are plain they, this is one thing where it's plain wrong just plain wrong there are many yeah. that are you know you can debate them this is plain wrong um,
1: yeah, well, I, I got to say though, I mean, I love the fact that you've got a point of view and you bring some clarity around this because there are lots of people out there that just don't know, Leo. Yet again, another reason to get their hands on your newsletter. I would suggest and absolutely recommend that you do that. Uh, if we could, Leo, I want to go back. You talked uh, talked about clean energy momentarily there. Um, I'm thinking about. Um, with all these executive orders that have been signed uh, recently with the new administration that's coming through, um, they're now pushing this, uh, this new agenda for clean energy. Um, in terms of stock, I'm seeing, uh, personally, um, rises in um, stocks of lithium, iron and molybdenum. Um, should you be looking at getting involved in that, that industry at the moment? Is that emerging? Or what's going to happen there with the clean energy market, do you think?
0: Okay, so, for example, lithium is important for the batteries of EVs. Um, Iron is just important because Biden said that he wants an iron renaissance in the United States, and he wants uh, uh, them to be iron uh, independent. Uh, So that's why people are buying uh, iron. Um, But when you invest in the companies that mine um, the actual commodities, you're delving into... An industry that um, the management teams are in charge of two things: cost, so bringing down their costs at all times. Okay, that's the one thing that's really important for these companies because they don't control the price of the commodity. The commodity yep. it fluctuates in the free markets, and as a as a as a uh, as an executive, you can only control costs. So That's one thing that these companies are uh, uh, always focused on. It's just cost, 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 and then the second thing that they're uh, um, constantly thinking about is how to replace the basically their depleting asset. So think about like um, like a Nike, right? What do they sell every day? They sell clothing, and when they run out of clothes, what do they do? They just manufacture new clothes. So their asset, the clothes. Uh, they can replace it somewhat renewable, but yeah, they can just do more with a mine. It has a life that's it. It's it's once it's gone, it's gone. When, when you deplete the whole thing, it's gone. So, you I,
1: I think of an analogy when you say that. I think about the grape, you can only squeeze so much juice out of a grape, yeah. You know I, mean? I always think about that,
0: yeah. But you can plant new grapes, etc., right? New grapes, <laughs> yeah. Here, you wake up every day as a CEO of a company and you literally go to your only asset, the mine, and you start emptying it out. So think about <laughs> the absurdity of the b- bismal, right? Okay. And then you also think about the fact that you cannot control how much you're going to sell it for. So that's why commodities are a very cyclical industry. They go through huge booms and busts. And the, the number one thing you should think about is whether or not This particular industry has just come off of a bust. The better it is for the 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 more the deeper the bust, the better it is for you. The more chances you're giving yourself that this can go in your favor. But this is not a buy and hold business. Look at any major mining company over time and you will see the chart just goes like a like this. It doesn't go up. It just goes up and down and stays within the range for 20, 30 years. So it's literally about getting in after a bust, going out near the top, going in not after the pay. Yeah, it's not like you look at the, uh, at the chart of the S&P 500 would literally just, it, it grows over time. It creates more and more value. Um, these companies do not. So first of all, go into it thinking, I need to find a, an industry or a company that has been through a major bust. Okay. 30 to 80% bust. I cannot go into anything else or I'm risking. um, I'm I'm risking a lot more. Okay. Okay. So that's one thing I I really want to stress this because my strategy is always go into a company after it had a big bust in commodities, not, not in general in commodities. Yeah. Secondly, um, these companies usually are very independent in terms of their price movement. So they'll move whenever something material happens within their own company. Whereas when you buy like a NASDAQ 100, if the whole market is moving up, the NASDAQ 100 is moving up. Here, you're, you're basically marrying your uh, fortune with this company being able to have a good drilling season, um, a good quarterly, um, uh, you know, um, um, mining production with no strikes and no problems and no, you know, their, their, their uh, pipes didn't burst, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're very independent. If if you want to win with them, you have to know what you're doing. There are obviously ETFs where you can offset this. You can buy a basket of lithium companies or a, ba- or a, a basket of mining companies in general. Um, but uh, the bottom line is. Uh, these types of investments carry much more risk. They're much more time sensitive. You have to know exactly what you're doing in terms of getting in and getting out. Uh, yeah. And they're more hands on. They're they're not like buying uh, the companies that actually make the end product. You're really going to the source where the added value is minimal. It's a commoditized business. And you're basically banking on, phenomenal managerial skills. So that's where um, I, I want to stress that what I look for and I invest in mining companies, is I, I I know the actual management team. I literally speak to any management team before investing in that particular company. I, I, I do not or rarely do I invest in any company where I don't know the CEO and haven't spoken with them personally. So and yeah, that, if, seems, that you can do that. Anyone yeah. on all call, if you want to invest in a company, Reach out to the company, ask for 15 minutes with the CEO or somebody that, uh, if if it's small enough, right? It's not a billion-dollar company because those would have their what's called an IR person, an investor relations person. But if it's a smaller cap company, you can definitely speak with either the chairman, the CEO, somebody, the president, and ask questions. Ask a lot of questions because if they don't answer these questions properly, somewhere it's it's like a little startup. They'll, They'll make a mistake.
1: This is sage advice, and this is. um, I know this to be true of Leo because I know that you're a connector of people, and I know some of the people that you know, and um, you know, it's there is a wealth of knowledge through conversation and you get a feel for how people operate and the caliber of people that I've been introduced through Leo's connections uh, is just phenomenal. So um, I'd like now if we could at the pointy end of the call Leo which again thank you so very much for sharing. I'd love to talk a little bit about your newsletter and what people can expect to find here because I know that you and I could speak for hours on end about different things uh, different investment strategies all of which I suspect are wrapped up in your newsletter. So what are people are going to find when they they find you
0: the idea of the newsletter um is three times a week to uh publish about three times a week to publish information that is timely and relevant in terms of of the global economics um, so whatever is really important on my mind whatever is really important to me i publish and the way i try to publish it is in five to seven hundred word uh, articles that take between five and seven minutes to uh to read um and then i also add to that a lot of um personal things that i'm doing so in in other words if i'm investing in certain companies then i would highlight those companies i wouldn't i i would not uh yeah i would highlight those companies so it's very uh personal opportunities uh to, to myself and that's kind of uh what we do we marry the uh the macro and the specific
1: that's wonderful. Now, when free people want to, oh, look oh uh, it, it's powerful. It's probably going to make, um, people very, uh, more educated, more aware and be able to make more informed decisions, which I think is really important here. Now, when people want to get their hands on this, um, wonderful newsletter, Leo, where will they
0: get it? Uh, uh, it's not like a physical newsletter, so they won't be able to get their hands on it, but they can s- definitely just subscribe on the, on the uh, homepage. Uh, for uh, at Um I would also say that something that that's pretty cool is if you go to the website, uh, above and beyond subscribing, you can also click on the uh, uh, on the top menu. There's a button that says Watch Lists. These are actually six watch lists of companies uh, of uh, uh, six watch. It's a report. It's basically a PDF report with a watch list of companies. Um, most of which i'm either invested in was investing or waiting for uh the price to drop and i've been publishing them since march of 2020 since the crash so six of them um, they contain like i think like 56 companies overall e- each and every company that has dropped to its noted limit order that i uh, uh published as as a um as a reference point because these are just reference point read them and then do your own uh review Due diligence yes yes of course but each of them that actually dropped to that price it ended up being so close to the bottom uh for that for, for that company and uh, obviously it was a phenomenal year for from the stock markets but uh those watches did really well so you, you can look at them just for retroactive uh retrospect uh but we also published our most recent one in january so that could be uh, pretty cool to see uh, what we just published two, three weeks ago.
1: i tell you what, I, I sit here and my ears prick up and I start listening intently because every time, every single time I have the opportunity and the privilege to spend time with you, I learn something. So I'm pretty certain that everybody who was on the call today have learned something from you as well, Leo. Now, uh, uh, for everybody who's on the call today, you need to visit wealthresearchgroup.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's free, it has all of this wealth of information for you. And with all that being said, Leo, I look forward to spending some more time with you on the My Future Business Show. Thank you, sir.